This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome along to the latest Liverpool Echo Blood Red podcast. I'm your host, Matt Addison, Ian Doyle and Kiefer McDonald, both alongside me here in the Liverpool Echo offices. We're going to have a little bit of a chat about Darmstadt last night. We're going to have a talk about Romeo Lavia as well. We'll get the latest on that a little bit later in the show. But we'll start with last night first, Doyle. You were there, uh, Theo was there, Jörg Schmatke was there as well to yes. watch along. Um, what did you make of, of the game? Obviously, Liverpool's final pre-season match. It, it was fairly similar to what we've seen in other pre-season games as well, I'd suggest. Yeah, Liverpool really good going forward and somewhat less so defensively. It was a it was a step up in standard compared to everybody bar Bayern Munich for Liverpool, I think, in the games that they've played so far. What was interesting is Darmstadt going into the game. I think we'd done our research, hadn't we, for once, one of these games. And they'd played four friendlies and they hadn't, conceded, they hadn't scored a single goal, but they'd only conceded three. And they'd had two nil-nils in the last two. So when Liverpool go two nil up after about eight minutes, you're thinking, well, this is actually quite a good performance so far. And then Darmstadt get that goal, which was a goal that anyone who's watched any of Liverpool's games over the last three or four weeks would recognise just a ball over the top and they're in and they managed to they managed to tuck it away so after that there were one or two moments of concern for Liverpool but mostly it was them kind of showcasing their attacking prowess and uh, for all of that two of the three goals were from set pieces I mean Soboslai Dominic Soboslai his uh, corners from the uh, from the left I think there's been three goals now in the last three games that have come from that I think uh, Ben Doak's header against Leicester was from, from there as well so but, then, but let's be honest the main talking point is the fact that they didn't have a defensive midfielder again Alexis McAllister was, was he started in the game Curtis Jones had started the previous two Trent Alexander-Arnold the two before that and McAllister I thought you know again played really really well I think he's going to be somebody who's going to have a massive role to play for Liverpool this season and I mean straight from the off but whether or not that should be playing as a number six I'm not so sure because while we don't really know what to expect from Chelsea because you know they're, they've just spent the last 18 months just buying a million and one players and, and moving them out and got a new manager as well with Pochettino so we'll have to wait and see on that one I'm sure we'll discuss that a bit later in the week but in terms of the actual the game against Darmstadt I don't think anybody would have been surprised by the way it went, really. I thought Liverpool, good on the ball, slack at moments defensively. You could tell that one or two individuals are a little bit uncomfortable at the lack of defensive cover. You see Van Dijk, certainly first half, wasn't too happy at players running at him from midfield. That's always been a problem, for, if, if anything. That's the only really, you know, he's kind of his weak point, as it were. And the fact that he's not getting any younger doesn't help. I kind of got, they got a little bit more on top of his second half. And Andy Robertson, kind of the same thing. He's not quite able to push forward as much as, as normal. So, you know, it's more of a test of him defensively. So, again, there weren't any particularly awful performances. I'm sure we'll come on to one or two uh, who impressed, certainly in the second half, coming off the bench. But for Liverpool, they've kind of done what they needed to do this summer in terms of on the pitch. The problem is, off the pitch, they've still got this big hole that, unfortunately, Saudi Arabia has, has, has dug for them by taking off uh, Jordan Henderson Fabinho. We'll come back to uh, the midfield in, in just a second. Let's start with a couple of positives. Liverpool have scored lots and lots of goals. Lots of different players have, have scored as well. We've seen lots of different elements of their attacking play. It, it does feel, though, Kiefer, like it's going to be a case of you score three and, and probably concede two and, and, and suddenly you're putting a little bit of pressure on yourself in that regard. Absolutely. It feels like 17-18 and, and if you go further back, 13-14, where Liverpool you know, challenge for, for the big honours, but Ultimately, the the lack of defensive structure let them down. Obviously, in the, in the Premier League in 
and got to the Champions League final in, in 2017, 20, 2018. Obviously lost to, to Real Madrid, but as you say, plenty of exciting elements in that forward line. Diogo Jota was, was good again, pressed well. I thought Luis Diaz you know, really played himself into contention for a start of the weekend. Personally, before the game, um, I would have had Jota, Gakpo and, and Salah as my front three. Know, depending on where Klopp views Gakpo, if, if he views him as a, you know, a left-sided midfielder now, or you know, if, if that's just a case to get all of his, his attacking talents into one side, but I think Diaz was bright again. He was a real live wire and, and kind of showed, you know, kind of picked up where he left off last season before his injury. Really, he was one of Liverpool's brightest prospects. Um, you know, looking to start his first full season at Liverpool, but obviously missed you know five months, six months in the end, and had that bit of time towards the end of last season where I think that's really done him done him well and set him up for pre-season where you know he's had that kind of return to, to first team football the intensity and now he's just looking to build on that with the, the sharpness and his goal was a, a brilliant flick at the, the near post as, as Doyle says you know from another Sabozlai corner so you know plenty to be excited about in that regard obviously Salah kind of continues his his role as Liverpool's chief curator um, I think it's only the two goals for him in pre-season but I think seven assists in total which is a you know a fine effort for him and, and maybe we'll see him redefine his game almost as he kind of enters these latter years of also firstly his Liverpool contract but also his career as he maybe loses that bit of explosiveness um, and then you know Gakpo in, in a, as I say in a, in a different role to what we'd seen previously on the left side of a, a makeshift midfield three with McAllister at the base and Sabozle on the right but you know he did well I personally prefer him as, as the false nine I think we were saying it in the office earlier I think what he brings in terms of his you know spatial awareness and dropping into pockets I think could really hurt Chelsea so I will be keen to see him there at the weekend but I think I don't think there really is a, a first choice front three anymore. I think it's very much, you know, how we've seen Klopp operate his midfield in, in years gone by. It's very much horses for courses. And, you know, depending on the assignment and the opposition and the competition and, and kind of the fixture schedule is, is what we'll see Liverpool operate with. I think, you know, we could all name a front three now, but I think we probably have different answers. I think the only person you could really say is nailed on is Mo Salah. And that's obviously because of what he's done for Liverpool over the past six or seven years, but also because there probably isn't that competition on the right-hand side that Liverpool boasts on the you know, not only down the centre, but also on the left with the likes of Luis Diaz and, and Darwin Nunes. And then, you know, you throw Ben Doak into that mix who had a, a fine cameo at, at the end of the game. I thought that was, a you know, another real positive. Someone who's really staked his claim to stay around at Anfield for the, you know, not only the Europa League games, but also, you know, we're talking about extended Premier League added time in, in the coming weeks and months. You know, he's certainly someone who could rack up, you know, 25, 30 minutes every week. So that's certainly another exciting prospect for, for Liverpool fans to kind of lick the lips at. But I thought, I thought McAllister was... Kind of the the overall positive. Um, he, he, I think he just showed how, as Dolly says, he's a footballer who looks like he's going to hit the ground running at Liverpool. And I think that's desperately what they need. You know, they haven't got the the midfielders in, or certainly the number of midfielders in that people would have you know expected coming up to this first game of the season. We know there was a obviously a, a third bid rejected for Lavia really this week, and it looks like you know McAllister is now going to be the man to to start at the at the base of midfield come come Chelsea on Sunday afternoon, regardless of what happens with Lavia. I mean, if you know if he was to magically appear. You know, and sign on the dotted lines of fully under the week, it'll be a, a huge ass to throw him in. Um, but I think the way in which he operated McAllister, and not only is pressing, but you know, he's quite a diminutive figure, but he still put himself about when his duels, you know, one possession high up. And, and that was kind of all the things that Klopp had, you know, been looking to see from his midfielders. So I think that just kind of reaffirms what a, what a talented football Liverpool have got on their hands. And, and, you know, that £35 million fee, I know we haven't played a, a competitive game this season, but it just looks, you know, shrewder by the by the week and with each passing minute. So you know, that was certainly one of the, the overriding positives from, from last night's outing. Go back to the forwards. So if you've got the five forwards, who's fifth choice at the moment? Who's Nunes. Nunes. Now, he, what was he? 60 odd, 65 million pounds. And he's actually had quite a decent summer. Yet he's going to be fifth choice. 
He's the I think joint top scorer, isn't he? In yeah, I think the the interesting thing though is it depends where Jurgen Klopp views him because you know last year he, when he was brought in, you know the kind of message was that Liverpool were going to slowly transition away from this false nine, you know Roberto Firmino mold that they'd had over the last you know six seven eight years, and they were going to go to this you know more and out, more out and out number nine in, in Darwin Nunes and, and maybe put more, more emphasis on the wide players. But within five or six months that had changed. Obviously Gakpo comes through in January and you know hits the ground running and has a, a really strong end to the season. I think now. It, you know, Jot has obviously played in, in the nine as well, but he's also been made to join his Liverpool career, you know, play out on the left. And I think Klopp likes that because of his, his work rate off the ball and, you know, going back the other way. And you, you talk about now in Robertson's new role where he's going to have to, you know, be a bit more cautious. <laughs> I think Jota really suits that. But I think Nunes' role really depends on if Klopp views him as a left-sided forward going long-term or as, an, as, a, as a number nine. Because if, if he is the number nine, he's probably got Gakpo to deal with. And I think that's quite a difficult transition for Liverpool to do game to game because... Not only are you asking, you know, your strikers to do a completely different job, but it also affects, you know, Salah, you know, uh, Diaz and Jota, but also the two midfield number eights behind them. But then it depends if you Jota and, and Diaz as his, his two left-sided options, and or you know, again, if he throws if he throws Nunes into that, it's Nunes, Diaz, and Jota, and then you've got the one down the middle. So I think, as I say, it would be very much horses for courses, and and I think Klopp will obviously do it game by game. I don't think there is such a thing as a, a set, you know, front three at the minute. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. How much do you think we should read into the three that started yesterday? Does that suggest that that's the three for the weekend, do you think, in the forward line? Probably not, because Gagpo probably won't be playing in midfield against Chelsea. So I'd, I'd have him starting. Which is an interesting one, because it's, it's Salah's definitely starting. I'd definitely play Gagpo down the middle. And so you're left with between Diaz and Jota. And I, I, I actually think Jota probably still is just a bit ahead of Diaz. I also think that's partly because of his defensive qualities. I think he'll he'll be able to you know, drop back a little bit. And it, with Liverpool presumably not having bought a defensive midfielder by then, and even if they do, it would be a bit of a surprise to just chuck them straight in, to be honest. They'll be working on a formation this week. Jürgen Klopp said it, didn't he, after the game? He said, you know, we're, we're now looking for ways of... of, of um, finding a formation that's going to play against Chelsea, not necessarily for the rest of the season. So I think Jota's probably just ahead of Diaz. But, I mean, it's five subs, isn't it? Mm. So you can, you know, if things aren't going to plan, you can just throw Diaz on, throw Nunes on, whoever. You can throw Doak on at there, Ben Doak on at there at the end, if, if, if you really want to just uh, liven things up somewhat, given, the, given what he's done there in the, uh, in the, in the warm-up games this summer. So I do think that, yeah, I'd go Gakpo down the middle, because, as Kiefer said, he's more in that mould of Firmino. And I think, again, defensively, Klopp mm. said, I think it was out in Singapore, he said, after, after Nunes had scored against Leicester, he says, look, we still need forwards who can defend. Yeah. And he didn't come out and say, but the inference obviously is because we've got so little defensive protection in midfield compared to what they normally have, is they're going to have to start defending a bit more strongly from the front. And certainly Jota can do that. Certainly Gakpo can do that purely because he drops deep. Nunes less so because he's a different type of player and Salah's been doing that for years I think I remember what was it when they beat Man- when they beat City 4-3 in but the January 2018 I think the next game they got beat by Swansea 1-0 on the Monday wasn't it Swansea yeah. and Klopp absolutely was fuming at Mane and Salah because they weren't <laughs> defensively you know, he didn't say again it's another inference he didn't say oh you've gone big time because you beat Man City and played really well going forward you still got to do the dirty work and I think for the pair of them since then there was never any issue with them I think with Nunes, it's a bit more difficult because Salah had been at the club for six months, had already played in the Premier League. Mane had obviously been at the club for 
18 months and he'd played in the Premier League for quite a few years. So we, Nunes is still trying to get used to all of that. And I think at the moment, the reason that he's probably fifth choice is, is purely on that reason, because as we've seen, he's, he's, he's actually been playing quite well. Uh, he scored the goals. He's looked threatening. He looks more sharp. Mm. He looks more like the player that Liverpool spent all that money on. But you know, the season's long. Liverpool hope to play 55, 56, 57 games if things go to plan in the Europa League. So everyone will get the chances. And uh, unfortunately, as we saw last year, Jota and Diaz fell over within, you know, for, for half the season. So uh, there will be opportunities, and, and, and Nunes just has to stick with it because. You know, would anybody be surprised if he came off the bench and scored the winner at Chelsea? No. And then all of a sudden you're talking about him starting at Bournemouth and probably Newcastle the week after. So, it, you know, as Ian says there, the, ch- the chances of all five of your forwards singing and from the same hymn sheet at the same time and all being on form is, is something that, you know, probably isn't going to happen. And I think at times last year, um, you know, there was pr- perhaps an over reliance on, on the, the, the lads at the top end of the pitch to score the goals. Liverpool don't, you know, traditionally under Jurgen Klopp have a lot of midfielders who can kind of ease that burden and, you, know, you look at the games where Liverpool failed to score, you know, away at Wolves, away at Brighton, those kind of games, you know, to have options off the bench where you can, you know, throw someone on, even if it is a Ben Doak, a, a Luis Diaz, you know, for, for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whoever, you know, is not in the starting front three. I think that's a, you know, good proof to be a, a real difference maker for Liverpool. I think you only have to look at City and the options they've had, you know, Mares, obviously he's just left now, but you know, they've had Mares, Foden, Palmer, you know, Aguero, all these players and, you know, consistently they've all kind of at the end of the season, they tally up about you know twenty goals each. It feels like so. You know, it's certainly not a bad problem for Liverpool to have. You didn't even mention Haaland either. No, I'm trying, <laughs> trying not to. To be fair, just a fifty <laughs> goals for him. Yeah, well, he had a quiet community shield. We all know <laughs> yeah. what comes next. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, in terms of, of what you mentioned before, what Jurgen Klopp said about you know maybe making a couple of, of tweaks for that Chelsea game. What what do you think that looks like? I, I've got an idea of, of what I would do in my head, but whether that's what Jurgen Klopp is thinking, I'm well, not sure. Well, the reality is, don't know what he's thinking because he probably doesn't know it himself, which is why he said I'm going to have to sit down and think about this. The other the complication is. Who knows what Chelsea are going to be playing? You know, they they signed a million and one players, and then we've just found out that their main striker and Cuckoo is it? Cuckoo, Cuckoo, yeah. yeah, he's he's out for four months, is it? Yeah. December, yeah, because he's done his he's done his knee, um, so that's blow for them. But I mean, it's, in some ways, that's the start of every season, isn't it? You don't really know how the other team's going to perform. So, yeah, is it a good time for Liverpool to be playing Chelsea? It probably is, you know, in that respect, because at least we we kind of know what to expect from Liverpool, but. Going back to your question, I think there's two, for me there's for me there's two options on the table. Even if Lavia comes, he's not going to play, as far as I'm concerned. So you're left with two options. One is go with Curtis Jones and put Trent at right back, which personally I probably wouldn't do that. The other one is play Trent in the defensive midfield and play Gomez at right back, and he's not he's he's not played hardly. Uh, in terms of competitive games, he's not played very often at right back, has he? Uh, Joe Gomez in the last, I think, last twelve, eighteen months. I think mm-hmm. he played a couple of good games the other season. Uh, and while I've said two things, that the third one is slightly left field in the sense that Liverpool haven't played this formation for quite some time. He's go four two three one, Trent at right back, and just play Jones and McAllister as the deep line two, and then just sacrifice a little bit of the forward line because you'd probably want to play. Soboslai or Soboslai, what we're saying there again. Soboslai. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, uh, he, he could play in that kind of the central position because that's more his kind of natural position. Certainly that's what he played more at Leipzig. Oh, he has played on the left. Um, and I think that's where long-term he'll be playing on the left of the midfield three for Liverpool. And then you can still play your three forwards, but you won't be playing you know, four with Gakpo or Jota playing a bit deeper. So I think those are the three things. Which one would I do? 
I'd go four two three one, but that's probably the one they won't do. I'd go four two three one as well, yeah. but I would do Trent as one of the two with McAllister well, you play and Gomez at right back. Yeah. So you're actually getting a combination rid of, of, of the two. Get, you're well, not yeah. playing Jones. I yeah. wouldn't play Jones. No. Well, maybe you could play Jones a little bit further forward instead yeah. of a, a Gagpo or a, or a Jota. But which way would you go, Kiefer? It's difficult, isn't it? I mean, you know, Trent has, has played there against lesser opposition so far this preseason. Obviously, have more time on the ball, and and even so, the, I think the Bundesliga started last weekend. So the teams Liverpool did play out in Germany, um, and even Leicester, to be fair, in Singapore were slightly ahead in in their preseason. I think also, as Dolly will know from being in Singapore, the conditions. It was a bit warm. Very it warm. Was very, very <laughs> it wasn't just Liverpool, though, was it? All the teams were the same. It's you know, it's it's not like that's in, Le- in, in Leicester. It's suddenly really warm. No, to Liverpool. I know that. I know that in uh, in in Germany, it can get a bit bit toasty in the summer. But you know, they're not really used to those conditions. And also, Bayern Munich had just come back from Japan, so they'd had a, quite a long tour. But so in terms of like pressing, you know, the opposition at Liverpool face, it wouldn't have been you know certainly out in Singapore, it wouldn't have been as as kind of relentless as you're going to well you know, I, what I would say about that the Bayern Munich game felt like a proper game yeah it was it, it was it was it was a bit ridiculous for the first 20 minutes and I think Klopp said afterwards he was like after 10 minutes you could see the players were like this is this is hard yeah. work this you know then I wasn't the, quite the expecting side, this the flip side of that is that everyone was you know as you say after the first 20-30 minutes I think everyone A realised it was a friendly but also the conditions and yeah. the heat I think that took a toll and that's why there was a lot of gaps and you know a lot of time on the ball and obviously you know it ended up what 4-3 so that was certainly telling but I think Trent has obviously has a capability to play there. He's played with the under 16s, obviously under Pep Linders. Um, I, I just think it's about getting bodies there. So I think you've got to do it as a, as a two, haven't you? Really, and and I think putting Trent as, I mean, you know, it did work for Liverpool towards the back end of last season, but I'm still not entirely convinced by it. I, I think long term it has its its drawbacks. I think it's an awful lot of pressure on Trent, not just you know mentally in terms of position, but I think physically on his body at 24 years of age, it is a huge ask to ask him to essentially cover two positions. I also think the same with Ibrahim Kanate, who is probably Liverpool's only athletic defender, if you, if you get what I'm trying to get at here. You know, he's had, had a few... He's, he's the only one who can run. He's the only one who can yeah. cover 10 yards in a, in a relatively respectable <laughs> space of time. So I think... Sounds about right, yeah. You know, if, if you're asking him to then cover two positions as well, I think, you know, as Doyle says, over a 50-game season, 55-60 game season, that is an enormous ask. Um, so I think if you if you start Trent in midfield in a two, whether that be with McAllister or Jones, I think that automatically eases his, you know, the, the burden him, of of him going the other way. And I think if you put someone like Gomez there, who I know had, hasn't had the, the greatest of of kind of records in in recent years, but I thought he's looked good at preseason so far when he's played. Obviously, he's been captain a few times in during the second half, but I thought last night he, he slotted him well again, albeit against you know the Bundesliga new boys. But I think he showed that he he perhaps doesn't leave Liverpool as vulnerable on the counter attacking transition and. You know, as you can see from Liverpool's opening goal, they they scored. Sorry, uh, Darmstadt's opening goal last night. It was you know a route one ball over the top, and as Dolly says, tracking tracking runners from midfield has been a problem for Liverpool. I mean, watching that goal gave me real flashbacks to the the game in Naples last year, where I think it was Ang- Anguissa and Zelensky scored a few goals, didn't they? And it just seemed to be that Gomez and Trent and Van Dijk and and Robertson in that back four, and and I think Milner, Elliot, and Fabinho was a midfielder that night. They just couldn't deal with the runners, and that kind of set the tone for Liverpool's season. So I think you know if they if they get Trent in there and, and they get a McAllister they've got you know legs they've got experience in the Premier League as well but also they've got the cover of Gomez on the right side which I think you know will serve them well because you know I don't think anyone knows what, what to expect from Chelsea they've got you know a few decent signings and you know they've added a lot to their to their ranks in the last couple of years they've also got a new manager a new way of playing and you know first home game at Stamford Bridge I'm sure their tails will be wagging for that one I'm sure they will have watched Liverpool in pre-season as well and they know the way to get out Liverpool is to yeah. just knock one over the top and, or, and do or that. play it down the inside right channel and then you're yeah. away yeah, yeah. And, and that's the worry isn't it I'm not quite sure how Liverpool can fix that 
in this formation, it, it does feel like it is. It, it's going to be the way a little bit in terms. Well, of that's the thing season. is that every formation's got its weak points, and unfortunately, because weirdly, because Liverpool's one is so unusual, there's not many teams play at City are the obvious example. And Arsenal as well have done Arsenal, it a few times. Yeah, yeah. Not, not with a, an attacking left back though as well. Liverpool have took it yeah. to another level yeah. again, haven't they? I think I think that you can. It's one where a lot of people look at it. Whereas if you play four four two four three three because everybody plays it it's like it's almost like everybody's negated all of the possible ways you could possibly get the most of it and it just becomes a battle between two teams who's the best one so that's what makes tactics quite interesting in a way but whenever something different turns up people are looking at it and go oh well there's there's no such thing as the tactic that can that can win absolutely everything otherwise everybody would just play it and of course the players make the system and Liverpool, as we know quite well, do not have the, all the players who can play in that system at the moment because they haven't got this defensive midfielder, which is what you need. You need that one who, who can sit there when Trent steps in as well. And Canati can move across, but Matip can't, unfortunately. You know, it's just the, just the way it is. Some players are built differently. And, and, and I'm pretty sure when Liverpool bought Matip, they never thought he'd end up having an opportunity of playing in that position. So probably not even Canati as well. So I, I think that... Yeah, I, I I agree with Kiefer that I long term I can't see this formation. No. But what I can see is that it then gives Liverpool an option in the sense that now they've got three or four different ways of playing. Because remember last season they played four four two for some games. Yeah. The, when they played the Rangers away in the Champions they League, they played Derby as well. Didn't they played four one two on two as well. Yeah, so, so. Th- so it's not just about getting you know obsessed with one particular system. Yeah. It's just that this one that the, they've been using a lot at the end of last season and, and during the summer is one that people haven't really seen that much of before. So that's why there's so much intrigue over it. So, yeah, I think all going back to the initial point about how all the teams Chelsea would have seen how Liverpool are conceding goals. I'm pretty sure they've also looked at the forward line and gone, hang on, the scoring goals on the counter attack, the scoring goals from open play, the go- scoring goals from transition, the scoring goals from set pieces, the scoring goals in every conceivable way. So that should be a concern for them. And it's spread across the team too, which is you know, a really nice sight, as I said earlier. I don't think Liverpool have had that for a, for a number of years. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Yeah, absolutely. Just to do a quick couple of mentions then. So Bosley has come up a couple of times that the corners look good there. Ben Doak as well looked good last yeah. night. Again, we've seen a little bit of him in pre-season and... I think at the start of pre-season with Ben Doak, I was thinking maybe there's a, a mm. top-end championship loan. Maybe that's the best way of going about it. But I don't know, maybe my uh, my mind has slightly changed on that one, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's, he's done so well, hasn't he? Him and, him and Bobby Clark are the two who have really stepped up and taken their chance. And I think, obviously, whilst Clark is a year older, I think he's probably a bit behind in his development. I think, you know, Doak is just, as, as everyone has seen over these, you know, people who aren't regular watchers of the academy have, you know, been exposed to over the last you know six six weeks of pre-season he's, he's fearless he's, he's direct he's dynamic he just brings something different to Liverpool and we saw it a few times last night that you know he gets into those final third positions on the byline and maybe his cross is a bit too much or his shot's not powerful enough for on target but you know I think it's easy to forget because of how he plays that he's only 17 years old and you know that that will come with time and you know learning from the best forwards in in the landing you know the likes of Salah Gakpo Diaz Nunes so you know it's certainly not a worry at the moment and I think as well with the loan, there's a lot of things that have to go right for a player. I think I mentioned it on last week's pod that I think you often forget about the person away from the pitch. So, you know, if you are going to send a 17-year-old who has, you know, recently relocated from Glasgow to then send him, you know, to somewhere down the country to, you know, into a completely different dressing room could be quite a difficult ask regardless of how good of a, you know, a footballer he is. Um, 
but I think you know with the the Europa League could prove to be a blessing for him and maybe his opening obviously Liverpool will be top seed in, in their Europa League group so you'd imagine they'll get a fairly favourable draw and the games at Anfield where you're going to have you know large amounts of possession it's going to be a rotated side you're going to be playing at two o'clock on a Sunday you know Doku is someone you would happily start from you know from the off especially once you've had you know maybe one or two two wins in that group and you've kind of got the remaining you know three or four games to to kind of set up the group and, and go for top spot and then obviously with that comes the, the buy into the round of 16 so there's still plenty for Liverpool to play for regardless of you know if they they you know they they kind of breeze through the early the round early game sorry the Europa League and I think you know Doku is someone who can can really benefit from that um, as I say I think Clark is, is probably the one who who will go on loan but as it as I say I think it changes so fast I, I remember Harvey Elliott being in a, a similar predicament a few years ago I think he, had, he did the the training camp in Austria for the month or you know they did an extended camp there and I think it was only on deadline day with that extended COVID window that he had that he went to Blackburn so it shows that things you know can change so quickly and Liverpool obviously fluid to the situation um you know if someone comes in with a really good offer the promise of first team football and it's you know say if it's a Preston or a Blackburn or somewhere Liverpool know you know they have good relations with you know it could prove to be you know too good to turn down but then the flip side of that is you know players like Phil Foden have shown that if you you bide your time and you kind of you know Curtis Jones yeah Curtis Jones as well I mean he's you know 22 going 23 this year and you think about when he first burst onto the scene at what seventeen, eighteen? I think he made his debut at Wolves in that FA Cup tie, didn't he? And came on midway. He must have only been eighteen at, at that stage. And you think now it's really taken. It's taken him four years really to to kind of establish himself as a Liverpool first team member. I know he's played nearly a hundred games, but you know to really say that he you go into a game thinking, yeah, he deserves a shirt. It's it's taken him the best part of four years. And to think Doke is younger than him when he made his debut, but also you know showing perhaps more promising signs at this stage of his career, it certainly bodes well for Liverpool and, and for him, not only in the short term, but, but also in the long term. Yeah, certainly a very promising youngster for Liverpool. Let's move on to another promising youngster, Romeo Lavia Doyle. Three bids already for Liverpool. It seems to be edging <coughs> ever closer, but not quite there yet. It's it's gone on for, for quite a while now, hasn't it? But what's the latest? Yeah, I think I might get rid of this cold before the actual time. <laughs> um, yeah, the latest is that they've had three bids. The third one, £46 million, roughly turned down. I think uh, what's, what, what I think is quite interesting is that you look on social media, quite a lot of fans are, uh, are like losing it over the way things have gone. I know Jamie Carragher came out and said it's, it's, it's embarrassing the way this is being dealt with. But a lot of the time, these deals get done behind closed doors and you never get to see any of this. And Southampton have been, <laughs> I don't know whether they're doing it on purpose or they're just really reveling in it. Every time Liverpool make a bid, they're just letting it leak out to somebody. Oh, yeah, they made another one and we've turned that down. So it makes them look good. But I also think it makes them look good in the sense that for their fans as well, because they know quite well they're going to sell him to Liverpool. I think he's going to keep, and I think Liverpool, you can't blame them for going in at a low cost because why on earth would you go, oh, immediately just going to pay that fee? Why would you? You just wouldn't. I think the difference is that it's because it's been so public, people have been a little bit agitated or concerned about it. And I think the added complications that Liverpool quite clearly need a defensive midfielder and the season, it's been, what, 10 days or something like that since they put the first bid in? It's been just within two weeks. And that's time that if they'd have just paid the money straight off, then they could have got him in and, 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 and you know had, had the pre-season with him. At this point, I suppose, Kiefer, it's <laughs> as both of you are off now. You've set him off. <laughs> I suppose at, at this point in the season or, or the pre-season, just a few days before Chelsea, like we said before, I mean, it, it doesn't much matter whether Liverpool did this deal two or three days ago or whether Liverpool do this deal on Saturday night. He's not going to be playing against Chelsea in that sense, at least. It probably doesn't really matter how long it takes. Yeah, absolutely. I think for Liverpool, probably the the 
but the deadline or the soft deadline was, was probably ahead of Singapore. I think if they'd got him in then, you know, Klopp obviously talks about, you know, how, how, how vital, you know, those sessions are out in, in Singapore and, you know, on, on camps, you know, to settle into the team, but also to understand his tactics. And, you know, we've seen with players like Fabinho, it can take a couple of months to kind of settle into the team. So I think obviously the initial plan would have been to have Fabinho alongside him. And, you know, in, in I don't think there's a scenario where he does start, you know, at Chelsea, regardless of if he signs in, you know, June or May or whenever. I think obviously Fabinho's there. You know, you're putting him in the Europa League games first, and then maybe you're probably not looking until after Christmas until you 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 maybe completing that transition. But obviously now with Fabinho and Henderson, you know, two recognisable defensive midfielders both gone. I think Liverpool probably missed a trick by not you know putting their foot on the accelerator and and trying to get him on board to that to that Singapore tour or you know certainly halfway through that and getting him to join up because I think now it's got to the point where. Liverpool needed one with Fabinho. They need two now without Fabinho. I think there, there's a real danger of one. One Lavia does sign it, and if he does sign, it's not, it's not going to be what Liverpool needed because they needed him alongside an experienced head. So I think when he does sign eventually, it will it will be a sense of relief, and I think obviously like tempers of of kind of what this. Um, Expectation, sorry, of what this summer should have been, have maybe been tempered down and watered down a bit, which I think is quite disappointing because you know, look at how proactive they were um, in the early weeks of the summer. We're getting McAllister through the door and so Bosley both before the, the first day back at the Axel Training Centre. And then you're thinking, right, that like gives you, I don't know, six weeks until the start of the new season. That's surely enough time to at least get one through. Okay, you know, they, they didn't expect to lose Fabinho and Henderson, but you know, no one no one forced them to sell them. You know, that was totally down to Liverpool and it's all relative. I mean, if they had got 20 million for, for, for Fabinho and 10 million for Henderson and they got Lavia for 40 million, is that not the same as, you, you know, paying 50 million when you've got 50 million? So it's all it's all relative. I, I think it's got to that point now where, as Dolly says, I do wonder if Southampton are maybe reveling in it because of all the, the Van Dijk sagas at their time to maybe get back them. You know, as, as Dolly says, it makes the to, to for a selling club, it makes them look far better. You know, they can come out at the end of the window and be like, "Look, we tried everything to to kind of keep hold of this player." You know, ultimately, Liverpool paid you know this amount for a player with this amount of Premier League games. It's a really good deal for us. He didn't want to be here, but I think for Liverpool, it's it's, it's kind of too little, too late. I think you think of the first two away games, Chelsea and Newcastle. I mean, you know, to go into both of those games without a you know a recognisable number six, I think is is suicidal, and I think. You know, as I say, considering how Liverpool had set themselves up in the early weeks of the summer, I think it is is quite disappointing that they they're now going you know almost on the back foot. I mean, we're we're sat here four days out from the the, the first day, game of the season, and we're talking about putting you know one of the new number eights in as a number six, or putting the best right back in as a number six. And I just think that is probably a sign of you know where while a sign of Liverpool's failure in, in the market really this summer. So you you're not too confident then. <laughs> no, I think I think it, I think it's a I think they've shot themselves in the foot really because as I say that the start to the window was so good and then now to be sat here. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, the problem the problem we got is that Liverpool. I can't remember whether I said it on this podcast or another one in the past that they were very proactive at the start of the summer and got the two yeah. players in great. And I think they'd have thought, well, yeah, we, we we could probably bring in someone like Lavia and have him alongside Fabinho in the squad as you just mentioned before. And I think they would have done that. So the the preparation would have gone into the deal, definitely. And possibly even thought, oh, we can probably get a centre-back in as well if we can actually possibly manage it. And then, of course, the Saudis turn up and then nick two of the um, two of the most experienced players and both who can play in the same position, which is the position that they know quite mm. well you've got to address long-term anyway. So it's like, what do you do? He says, do you then bring forward your long-term planning to now, which is what they're trying to do mm. with, 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 with signing Lavia, or... Do you actually buy somebody for now, 
But because of Liverpool's financial situation, you know, if you're signing somebody for now, you're then not going to be able to afford the other one. So if you actually believe in this player and you think he's the future, you're just going to have to go and get him now. But that's what my, my, my kind of worry is, is that... Because they've had to be reactive. And well, I think Liverpool be... are a lot better when... The, this, this recruiting team at the moment is a lot better when they're proactive compared to being reactive, as we saw with Kabak Davis, yeah. Arthur Mello. And I wouldn't even include Oxlade-Chamberlain in that because they knew quite well that his situation, they'd known it for months back in 2017 when they signed him just before deadline day. And it was obviously Arsenal just made this, the decision, oh, we, it's our contract at the end of the season. We may as well sell him and get some money. And so Liverpool but even signed. with Oxlade-Chamberlain, that felt like, that, that didn't feel like a necessity signing at the time. No, no, because that's, that's the, the thing. Is yeah, they, the did, they, they spent months knowing it. And they, you know, they'll have known what the situation was. Whereas in, in some ways, you might argue that Lavi is a little bit like that. They've known his situation, they've known it for ages, and the, they, they could easily have taken it down to the last day of the transfer window and then signed him. But of course, the difference is with Oxley Chamber, they already had loads of midfielders, and yeah. now they haven't got any. And, and there's not really that many other options, is there? You look at, at the players no. that have gone that you would go Depp and Rice, yeah, bring him in straight away. But you away would never have spent him. 100 million. He's, exactly. he's, he's not a 100 million pound player. But, but that's the thing, if, Liverpool don't, if well. Liverpool don't think, you know, I think we can all sit here and say that Romeo Lavia at this point in time is not worth fifty million pounds. No, no chance. The potential is that he's homegrown and he can be in, in years to come if his development goes, you know, on the track that everyone thinks it will. But the point of that is, you know, he's worth that to Southampton in the same way that Declan Rice is worth one hundred and five million to, to Arsenal and to West Ham. But the point is, is that Liverpool, if they don't sign Lavia, what's the next? What's the thing they do? Well, they go and get one below Lavia, which is someone who's not yet played in the Premier League, someone who's probably younger than Lavia. That very much sounds like someone very similar to Stefan Bassetti. So they've already got that kind of mould as well um, I mean I know they're very similar in age I think is it a year well, that's, apart that's a very good point because that's also signing Lavia and you've already got Basetic there you've got your future but the that's no, they're not they're then, now, but they're yeah. not actually guar- it's not guaranteed but that's the thing, that's the thing I, won't, I won't be if they, if they didn't I, I don't necessarily think they need if they went and signed I don't know just say for namesake a Joshua Kimmich right and they signed him tomorrow but then, he's, you know, you know, at Bayern Munich, that they think that he shouldn't be the number six no, because he's got no defence. I know, but he's just, not defensive. I'm just, I'm just, just, saying, I'm just yeah. saying that it was funny because Thomas Tuchel said at the um, when we were in Singapore, he said he got asked a question about a number six. Said, "Yeah, yeah, we definitely have. We've got all of these great players." <laughs> says, but none of them are thinking defence-minded first. And of course, Kimmich came afterwards and said, "Yeah, I could probably do that." But it wasn't a criticism of him as such. He yeah. was saying he's very good at this other thing. That's why I saw all the links with like some Liverpool fans saying, "Got to sign Kimmich." It's like, well, that wouldn't solve the problem. But that's the thing. Just say they went and got someone of his kind of caliber and ilk, of someone who's been there, you know, done it and got the medals. You know, he's got the experience, can slot in straight away. Someone you know very similar to Thiago. They don't need a Lavia, but obviously they've targeted Lavia from the, the start. They, yeah. they put all their eggs in that basket. That now, you know. We, I think we all have our own opinions on whether Caicedo will be, you know, a good fit for Liverpool, and, and does he fit the the kind of mould of what Klopp looks for in a player I and mean, in a person? I think that's up for debate. But the fact is, is that if Liverpool don't go for for Lavia, then they've then got to spend big bucks, so they can't have it both ways. And as I said, no one forced them to sell Fabinho, no one forced them to sell Henderson. They haggled for a fee, you know, over Henderson. They they played hardball, and Southampton are doing the exact same to them. They got a, a fee for Fabinho that I don't think anyone probably double what I think anyone would have thought he was worth off you know his, his performances last season alone um, and you know considering he had another three years left on his contract I think that's probably the, the only reason it you know it was so high but I, I just don't buy it that Liverpool now can play this long game with, with Southampton and, and kind of you know try and have all the because as you said the other day it's a seller's market you know it's all the selling teams have, have profited this summer you know no one has really played what feels like a fair price for any players you know in and around the league really um, so you know it feels the later Liverpool lead, need, 
leave it everyone knows they're going to be asked for a defensive midfielder they're probably going to end up paying more than 50 million if they don't just you know cough up and pay the money for for Lavia now and you know the the whole the conclusion of that now is that they've wasted three weeks if you know if they do eventually go and pay that 50 million quid when you know Lavia even though he shouldn't be he could have been starting it at Stanford Bridge which then in turn makes you know McAllister's performance better so Barzai's performance is better Trent's performance is better and so on and uh, let's not forget that when Fabinho first joined, it took him a few months before he even got in the mm. team. So, and that we're talking about somebody that's, was he 23, 24 then? 24, 24 I think. Yeah, 24. Yeah. Brazil international had played many Won games for Monaco. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So it's not as if he's somebody who didn't have any experience, but it just goes to show that if you're playing in a clock midfield in yeah. such a specific position, it can take time to get used to it. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. That was sort of the next point I was going to make really was in terms of, of Lavery. It does feel to me like a bit of a different type of Liverpool signing. Normally they wait until the 23-24. They've played three or four seasons elsewhere. They pay the premium because they've done the sort of development and they've made the mistakes elsewhere. On, on this occasion you're paying the premium but well, you haven't the, really the, got that. The, well the only thing I can think is obviously someone I've, I've watched him play for Man City I think he's under 23s at the time possibly even the under 18s actually. So he's been on the radar for a long time and they clearly think he's the player who can become this that is in there absolutely convinced by it. So 50 billion for a 90 you're right forget like oh, Liverpool should pay this that and the other. 50 million pounds for a 19 year old who's, who's only played one season in the Premier League. It's like how much of a statement of not so much intense but a statement of faith in the player the player himself from the club Liverpool that would be and yeah it's clearly what is it a, a project signing as they say a project signing but, but the flip side is that I don't think Liverpool would lose much on their investment say if it wasn't to work out you know he's 19 now you know he's played what 29 Premier League games I think even if he did three years at Liverpool and you know probably had two years left on a, a say a five six year deal or whatever I think if Liverpool then were to sell him you know, they're probably at least getting their money back, obviously with inflation, but also the fact that he will be homegrown. He will have played for Liverpool. Yeah. He will have probably played in the Champions League. You know, he's played under a club midfield. I don't think. I don't think there's a. I don't think it's a risk signing. It's not like you're signing, you know, a, you know, I don't know, say like a Bayern Munich going after Kane for a 31 year old and paying 100 million who's had you know injury records. I don't think it's like that. I think yes, it's a lot of money up front, and you know, as you say, that's someone who's not played a lot of games and not had a lot of senior experience. But I think it's one that they'll look at and think, well, even if a worst-case scenario, I mean, I think of Benteke when he came in, you know, Klopp obviously sold him in his first summer, but I think they got you know, near enough all their money back didn't they, when he was sold to Palace. So I think they'll probably view it in that kind of similar regard. I think we're all a little bit guilty, by the way, of what I call World Cup syndrome in the sense that when a World Cup draw gets made, everybody looks at the say it's England, for example, the first game could be against whoever, and goes, who's going to play, who's going to play, who's going to play? And there's all that debate until he gets to the first game, and then, it's, then, they, then they pick it and go, oh, we've got another game in three days. And then we can pick a different team now. And I think Liverpool, we're all guilty of it. We're all think, looking at that Chelsea game going, what's he going to do? What are they going to do? What are they going to do? And let's just say they sign Lavia next Monday. They've still got another six days before they play the next game against Bournemouth. And he probably wouldn't have needed. So then they've got another week after that where they play against Newcastle. And the transfer window's still got another week after mm-hmm. that before it shuts. So, so it's, it's about missed opportunity. But if you're signing somebody for five years, as we saw with Fabinho, he had the full summer and he wasn't ready, yeah. so it's it, it it doesn't necessarily work like that. Whereas look at McAllister, he looks like he's going to be ready straight off. I think the the reason for that is, is probably largely down to PTSD and Manchester City. Obviously, they're typically under Guardiola. They're not fast starters in the Premier League, are they? And well, I don't think I don't. Let's be honest. I don't think anyone thinks Liverpool are going to challenge for the title this season. Well, I think <laughs> I, 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 no, I, I, I don't. I think I don't. I don't mean to put a downer on it, but if no, they finish but in the I, top four, they'll I think people well. people are looking at it in last season, and you know, seasons gone by, and thinking that every point counts. 
you know, you think how, how poor Liverpool were for, for two-thirds of last season and they still, what, finished five I, points I, off? I think it's the fact that they played Chelsea and Newcastle away from home and then Villa, who can be construed yeah. as teams who will be in and around where it's... Exactly, yeah. So there isn't, you know, it's not like you've got, you know, three home games coming up first and it's against newly promoted sides. It is literally straight into the deep end, as you say, a Chelsea side who, you know, finished 10th, but they could easily go and sign, you know, challenge for the Premier League this season. Then you've got Newcastle, who obviously Champions League, and then Villa, who have had a really strong pre-season under Unai Emre, so... You know, it certainly doesn't feel like, apart from that Bournemouth game, that there's there's much time for Liverpool to, you know, if they, I mean, last season they didn't get their first win till the Bournemouth game, was it? I think the the nine nil. I think so, yeah. Yeah, so they obviously drew to Palace, drew to Fulham, lost to uh, United, United, didn't they? And then obviously they got the the win at Bournemouth, which was what the third or fourth attempt. So that kind of shows that if you are picking up, you know, three points from the first twelve or say, you're leaving yourself an awful lot of not much room for failure in the you know the well, rain. Well, United season. lost their first two games, ended up finishing. Yeah, but I think third? that that was that was probably Did largely down to how yeah. poor Liverpool were <laughs> last season. <laughs> I don't think I don't think United were as great as everyone kind of made them out to be. No. Just to uh, to finish then the rest of, of no. this summer. Two footing my guy there. Yeah. No, no, no. The season hasn't even started yet. <laughs> no, I, Predictions I, next week. <laughs> I agree with you. I'd throw Arsenal in there as well, but we'll come back to that at another point. Don't in get me the, started the floor is yours, Doyle. Just to, to finish then the rest of, of this summer window, what does it look like, do you think, Dory? Lavia and then I mean, one more? That or? Phillips will get sold. I think, for his sake. I mean, there's a reason why he's not been playing because quite clearly he's you know, making sure he doesn't get injured before he gets sold. Um, it depends if Saudi Arabia come in for Thiago. I think he's already turned them down once, but if he offers a big money. To be fair to him, he's not shown any inclinations. So I think he'll stay. Um, they can't let him go as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. They can't do that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like having little, you know, imagine how young they have to, from everyone complaining about Liverpool having the oldest team, then they have the youngest midfield, wouldn't they? <laughs> it's like, uh, they all wanted, it's like, everyone last season was going, right, we need to rip up the midfield, change it, change it. And the minute they did, not that way, what are you doing? <laughs> Can we pick some of them back? Um, yeah, I think they, they will sign Lavia. There we go, put my neck on the line. And yeah, you don't you don't go up to yeah, forty six exactly, yeah. without yeah, wanting to go to fifty. That's what will just make this whole thing look a bit daft in the end that they've haggled so much publicly. Anyway, I wouldn't be surprised if they sign a centre back as well. I think they need one. Yeah, yeah desperately. Yeah, and I think that's probably one reason why they are trying to extract every single pound they can from stuff because. Spoke to Billy Hogan over in Singapore. He's quite open the fact that yeah, it's not been in the Champions League affects us financially, and you got the big stand there, which hasn't been finished in time. Which you know, that's not that big a deal in the sense that as long as it gets finished soon enough, it's it'll be there for 20, 30, 40 years, whatever the lifespan they have of these stands, and it'll make money. But there'll be a little little time where it's not. So it's all these little incremental things are kind of affecting Liverpool when they're trying to extract as much as they can from the squad that they've got and trying to give Jurgen Klopp as much money as they can and then we could just have an entirely new podcast on whether FSG should loosen their purse strings and to be honest I don't think my voice can take that much so yeah we'll leave that bit there absolutely we will leave it there for today an interesting few days and weeks ahead for Liverpool we'll be back on Friday with a preview of the new Premier League season but for now that's all we've got time for you've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo